0: ever. Got Tom who's about to come on and just rock your world teaching you about trademarks protecting your brand and really being your GPS in business. So definitely stick around before we dive into that. I want to say thank you for being here for being on the journey, taking one step at a time. Sometimes life is super great, things are going your way. Sometimes there's more difficult, challenging moments. How do you show up in those moments? How do you respond? And I think these are beautiful times to show up as leaders and really contribute to the people around us, expand and keep moving forward into our GPS. Thank you so much for being here. Next up is our iTunes review of the week. And this week it is by B 22 who says, win. Chris inspires by encouraging everyone to become the greatest possible self so you can become all you were created to be b 22 thank you so much for that review. If you want a chance to get shouted out on a future 12-hour live stream, go to beergps.com forward slash iTunes or search greatest possible self on the Apple Podcast Store. Leave us a review. Let us know what you love, what you want to see more of, and how we can improve the show for you. Thank you in advance for doing that. And uh, stay tuned because this is gonna be a powerful interview with Tom. Grab a piece of paper, grab a pen, be ready to take notes. This could be the thing that like literally saves your butt down the line uh, and and protects your assets, protects your, your wealth, protects your business, and the thing that you've put so much time and energy into. So definitely stick around all the way through to the end because one idea, one strategy, one piece of information really has the power to change everything for you. Let's introduce Tom and we'll bring him on. Tom is a California business attorney in his 17th year of practice. Tom was burnt out working at law firms where he represented institutional clients and insurance companies so he went solo in 2017. He only represents small small business owners and entrepreneurs helping them set up their business properly. He counsels businesses on corporate structure, contracts, risk management, and intellectual property. Trademark law has become Tom's specialty, and he is building a course to enable people to file their own applications. That's just the tip of the iceberg with this epic human being, we're going to get so much value from this. Tom, are you ready to rock the house, brother?
1: I can't wait. Let's do this.
0: Let's do it, man. We're live and become your greatest possible self, Tom. Thank you for being here. We're going to dive right into the theme of today, which is using crises to fuel creation. What does that mean for you, man?
1: I was just having this conversation with a couple of my clients yesterday, so this is very timely. I've got multiple clients who are going through hard times right now. I mean, most of us are. the The economy is contracting. Things are shriveling up. People are having hoard and scarcity mentality, yep. and everyone's afraid to spend any kind of money. And I think this is the perfect time to invest in yourself because you know th- this demonstrates that you can't rely on others for your own continued livelihood. You can only rely on yourself. No job is guaranteed. That was mm. true when I was working in law firms as well. Yep. And so, what I was counseling my clients about is that okay. You're struggling right now, and the landscape that you're used to, the success that you've had up until now is no longer in existence. Right. So you need to adapt, and you need to evolve, and the people who fail to evolve and adapt to, as circumstances change, because life is always changing, yep. but if stay rigid and brittle, you're going to break, you're going to die, you're not going to survive. So you always have to be able to adapt as, as society and circumstances change
0: powerful dude i'm loving it i'm loving it just like coming out of the gate swinging dude this is great so tom tell us a little bit more about how you're serving your clients with trademark laws business attorney i mentioned a little bit about it in your intro but just in your own words what do
2: you stand for man
1: well i'm an entrepreneur myself i'm a business owner myself and so i just i feel a kinship i I connect with With other business owners i just like working with people who control their own destiny destiny and are as unemployable as i am
2: yep
1: people who are entrepreneurs they're mavericks they're they they don't follow the rules well hopefully they follow the the laws but uh (laughs) they don't like being constrained with employment they like being able to chase their own dreams and so i like supporting them on their journey Mm. and so what I do is um, I, I get businesses set up, like a form people's corporations or their LLCs, and to make sure they're set up the right way. Yep. Um, I, I look at the whole the whole picture. I take a holistic view of what's going on with your business and what are your objectives, your challenges, your market. And then I, I, I work directly with my clients to craft custom solutions for them. So it might be get fortifying their contract. It might be uh, uh, looking at their insurance coverage. Mm-hmm. It might be uh, helping them out if there's a dispute, or if there's litigation, or if someone owes them money. Um, but the area that I'm really putting my emphasis in lately, this last year, has been trademark, where I'm helping businesses achieve uh, nationwide exclusivity for their branding. That's ultimately what trademark is. Wow.
0: Dude, I love it. I'm, we're going to dive into that and and that nationwide exclusivity. Why business owners like really get to take action on this? They they need to be moving on this because there's so much opportunity there. Before we dive into that, though, I just want to talk about your your journey over these last 17 years, man. Why, why did you get started in in law? What's it been like for you, man?
1: <laughs> well, in when, in college and in high school, I was a kitchen manager. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was, I was flipping steaks and making pasta and running, running a line in, in a variety of kitchens, and I found it challenging and, and fun, and it was high energy. It was good for my personality, but it wasn't a whole lot of meaning in that work, and it wasn't super lucrative either. And so I chose law school instead of culinary school because I wanted something challenging, and I wanted to be able to make an impact, and I wanted to be able, frankly, to have a, a comfortable living that wasn't a hand-to-mouth existence. Yep. So that's why I chose to go into law school. Also I got perhaps a flair for the dramatic. I used to want to be an actor. I like public speaking. I like, you know, being up on stage. And so this seemed to be a good uh a good medium for that as well. So that's why I chose law school.
0: That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And then over the journey, like what was the transition into going into business for yourself?
1: Straight out of law school, I graduated from USD here in San Diego into a tough economy. It was 2003. There weren't a whole lot of jobs out there. And when I was uh, a student, I think, no, I think, I know, I had an unrealistic and naive uh, perspective on what was waiting for me once I passed the bar. Yeah. And I thought there'd be a six-figure job waiting for me and I get all this great experience and you know make great money right out of the gate. And that wasn't the case at all. I got humbled really fast. Yeah. So- I did pass the bar the first try which is great but I found myself making 20 bucks an hour as an associate at a law firm. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> I was making about double what I was making as a kitchen manager. So it was it was a hard uh it was a hard go for a while there and uh, I got laid off as a second year lawyer. Um, so I hung a shingle and went out as a solo for for about a year. And I managed to feed myself. So I'm very proud of that. But as a second year lawyer, barely knowing where the courthouse was, I managed to bring in enough clients and get some experience that I was able to pay my bills, pay my rents, and uh, exist.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Then I I felt like I owed it to myself to work in law firms. I wanted some collegiality. I wanted to build a 401K. I wanted colleagues. I just wanted that experience. So I I worked in different law firms and learned how to practice law and how not to practice law, Mm -hmm. how to treat people and how not to treat people. Um, I worked in a trust and probate litigation firm for four months, and I hated it with a passion. You know, It was family members, suing family members over, over estates.
2: Ugh.
1: Couldn't do it. Um, worked in a firm where we did insurance coverage and construction defect litigation. Wasn't a huge fan of that. Um, construction defect is really just a way for, for uh, homeowners to extort builders because wow. then they take the money and they go and buy TVs with it and they don't fix the houses. Wow. Insurance coverage is a huge thing to learn, though. It's not very sexy, but if you can learn how to compel an insurance company to stop screwing around and actually pay a claim, it's it's a pretty valuable uh, arrow in my quiver. So that's something that comes becomes useful. I found that my specialty was in business disputes. That's where I was strongest. Mm. So when there's a contract, there's a business, and something's gone wrong, those cases tended to come to my desk, and that's where I shone. Mm. And so that was how I started carving out a specialty for myself. Mm. Dude. And then around 2017, I just felt a pull that the time was right for me to go out on my own. I felt like I was selling myself short by working in a firm, and I, had, I just saw way better upside on my own.
0: And then getting into trademarks, what was, what was the thing that prompted that, man?
1: <laughs> um, I filed my own first. Yeah. So I have, a, I have got another business. So when I say I'm an entrepreneur, it's not just from running a law office. I actually have a videography business called Eternal Reads. The core of that business is I interview senior citizens, I record their life story, I make a custom documentary and book about their life. That's led to me doing memorial videos and uh, taking me in different directions that I never foresaw when I began. But a few years ago, I decided to trademark the name Eternal Roots. Mm. So I just educated myself on the process, watched videos, read articles, filed my own and massively screwed it up, <laughs> as I find what happens with my clients sometimes when they file their own. And so I had to go in there and fix it and figure out what I do wrong. What did I not give them that they needed? And I just had to learn by doing. Unfortunately, I just committed malpractice to myself. Mm-hmm. And then I got it. I got it through. It got, uh, it got passed and I got my certificate. I'm looking at it right now. And I found that, you know, this is, it felt pretty good. No one else in the United States of America in the videography context can call themselves eternal roots. That felt kind of cool. Yeah. I continued educating myself on that. And then uh, friends of mine started asking me questions. And so I started helping them out for free. And I got, when I got myself to a point where I felt like I could competently help someone and take a fee, mm-hmm. I started doing that. And then the more I did it, the more I found I really enjoyed this practice area. And you know, there's no turn on greater than getting a certificate in the mail mm-hmm. for one of my clients. Now I get to mail this to my client. And that's a pretty cool feeling. Dang. So that so it just became more and more of an emphasis of of my practice, and I've got about twenty applications pending before the USPTO right now.
0: Wow, dude. Okay, so this is this is gold, and I know that there's business owners out there who are asking themselves, like, okay, I'm just I'm just wanting to grow my business. I'm wanting to impact more people, serve more people, generate more revenue. Why should trademarking my business be on my radar?
1: It should be on your radar at the outset, at the very, very beginning. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to use scare tactics because you can use trademark as a sword and as a shield, but you don't want to be into your business and you invested tens of thousands of dollars in your infrastructure and your marketing and your branding Mm -hmm. only to find out that someone else came before you and has a same or similar name and a similar or similar classification. Mm -hmm. And then you're getting hit with a cease and desist letter. Or even worse, you're getting hit with an infringement lawsuit. And now you're having to defend that. But even if you can make that dispute go away, now you're having to start all over on your branding. And having to start over on your branding, you're starting over on your business because people associate you through your branding. And if you're having a new name, people don't know who you are, and now you're having to start all over. So that's why you need to care about trademark. So it's a way of ensuring that you and only you has the name of your business or the name of your product or your service or even your logo.
0: Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's really like, um, it's, it's, you said sword and shield. I would say the major thing though, is like protection. It's, it's like to prevent against like the downside of someone else wanting to come in and and use that, that name and like try to rip you off or whatever, whatever might happen with that.
1: Right. So if you have, you have the trademark, now you've got a shield. If someone's going to come along and claim you're infringing on them and you've got the mark, mm. now the courts will have a presumption, a judicial presumption mm. of the validity of your trademark. So if you're in litigation, you're in a position of strength by having that piece of paper. Mm. But you can also use it as a sword. So if you've got your own trademark and you find someone else out there using a same or similar mark in a same or similar class as you... Mm. Now I'm going to be writing a cease and desist letter on your behalf, telling that person to knock it off. So it's a sword and a shield.
2: Wow.
0: I, I think um, one thing I want to educate people on is the extent that it it can be used, and then like what what is what is it useful for, and when do trademarks like not really apply if something falls outside of the scope of how you can use it?
1: Okay. That that's a that's a wonderful question. So. This comes to me all the time. And sometimes I have to be the bearer of bad news. And uh, that's my job sometimes. So so you generally can only trademark names that are distinctive. Mm. Eternal Roots, that's a distinctive name. If my name was, you know, videographer of, of the elderly, that's descriptive. Mm. It's generic. Mm. You cannot get trademarks for names that are generic mm. or descriptive. They have to be uh, distinctive.
2: Right. like think,
1: And so when I give examples like Yamaha, Yahoo, Amazon, Nike, Google, those are distinctive names that get a real high degree of protection. And so I've had applications go through where they're a little bit borderline and some have gotten through and some haven't. And so, it's, so when people come to me and they're asking me to run a name for the trademark database, um, and sometimes I'll get zero hits, which is what you want. Right. Well, tell them, look, I think your name is totally descriptive or it's generic. I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to get through. I won't even take your money to file it. I think you need to go back to the drawing board and find a bit more of a distinctive name. Wow.
0: No. No. That's good. Good, good distinction. So it's like description, descriptive is just talking about it. It's using things like, you know, business coach or like the, maybe, I don't know if the number one business coach, would that be too descriptive? Or do you think that that would be,
1: unique I think enough? that'd be generic. generic. It'd be deemed generic. Yeah. So let's say you had um a, a very descriptive, I'm sorry, distinctive name with business coach. Mm-hmm. So let's say like, uh, uh, okay, you got angel wings behind you. Yes. So you said you call yourself Angel Wings Coaching. Mm. I haven't looked it up, but it sounds distinctive enough to me. However, the word coaching itself is generic and descriptive. So what you do is I'd apply for the whole name, and then I would have to disclaim coaching. Mm. So you can't claim exclusive rights to coaching, but for Angel Wing, you could. Mm. That's an example of how that might work.
0: Wow. do people try to do this on their own and, and submit the the like do this on their own, or like tell me tell me about that process if someone were to say, "I'm just going to go Google this. I love you, Tom, you're a great great guy. you inspire me to go do this like do they do it on their own
1: <laughs> well on, on, so on the one hand, I got multiple I got mixed emotions about that. <laughs> I commend you for perceiving the need to do it and and wanting to protect yourself. I commend you for that. So anyone wanting a trademark. Uh, I'm not going to eat your lunch for that. Now, just going off and doing it on your own, um, I'd say to exercise some caution.
2: Mm.
1: People get get trademarks through on their own all the time. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that in general, but because you're not trained as a lawyer and you're not trained in this specific process, you're most likely to get tripped up. I got tripped up, and Mm. I'm a lawyer, so my first one got messed up. I had to go back and do extra work and fix it. I got it through. But I've had people hire me where they tried to do it themselves and they got denied, denied, denied. And then I got to the point where it's like a knot and I had to come in and untie the knot and unravel and clean it up so I could get the apps through. It ended up costing this person double what it would have otherwise and took twice as long. Hmm. So for people wanting to do it themselves, it's possible. Uh, I'm not mad at you if you want to do it yourself and save a buck. But having said that, consider what's your zone of genius in your business. So you have a business and you're an expert in your product or service, your trade or profession. Why are you then going to go out of your zone of genius and be an amateur Mm. and take the time to educate yourself on this process when that time could have been better spent doing your trade or profession? So, Mm. So I would advise people you're better off hiring a lawyer to do it for you so you can get it done right. And also, the lawyer is going to be the attorney of record. So, that person's going to be on the front lines if anything comes down. It's going straight to the lawyer first. Hmm. Um, some people can't get it through on their own, and, and that, that's commendable. So, that's just the caveat I have. Ironically, I'm, we'll get into this later. I am building a class, so I'm going to teach people how to do it on their own. Yeah. But I think I feel like I'm going to do it better than any of the resources I'm finding on.
0: Yeah. And I think that's when people Google stuff, they get Google level results, right? (laughs) Like typically it's like, if you're not going to an expert, then who knows what, what unique circumstances and things, distinctions about someone's situation could be like completely different that this Google article or whatever it might be, YouTube tutorial could never like see. And it's like, do you want to waste all that time and get a, 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 you know, a trademark attempt rejected, or do you want to like get it right the first? time
1: yeah I mean save yourself time save yourself money yeah. on the application but also on your time educating yourself that's time you could have been doing better things for your business mm-hmm. like for me like an example i like to use is i'm not a graphic designer so why am i going to spend hours teaching myself adobe illustrator so i can do amateurish work i'd mm-hmm. rather go and pay a designer do it right yep. then i can focus on my my strength which is practicing law yeah
2: Man,
0: I love it. Is there any type of business that trademarking doesn't work for?
1: Oh, well, generally, no. I mean, it's really anybody who is actually using a mark in commerce and you can demonstrate through what's called specimens, which are photos, that you are actually using that mark in commerce or that you intend to, um, and you're the first one to do it and your name is distinctive, you can get a trademark regardless of your industry. Having said that, there's one industry. Where it's a little sketchy, and that's the cannabis industry, mm. because you know it's still federally illegal, uh, which is ridiculous. But because of that, if you are manufacturing actual cannabis or THC products, mm. you cannot get a trademark for the 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 cannabis product itself.
2: Mm.
1: If you've got ancillary products for it, um, you can. But the any cannabis products themselves, you cannot get a trademark for.
0: So it it sounds like there's everyone should get this to protect themselves to put themselves in an advantageous position. Um let's talk about if if a consumer is going to choose a company, um a customer or client and they and they see that that trademark symbol, do you think that that has any weight on the consumer's mind?
1: It depends on how savvy the consumer is. And it probably depends on the nature of what it is you're doing. So, you know, if it's a professional service. So, by the way, the, the trademark designation we're speaking of, let's put this out there. It's circle R. Okay. So the circle R means you have a registered trademark. It's a okay. federally registered trademark. It means you've got the piece of paper. So for this particular client's product, he can put a circle R for that now. Okay. For everybody else, you can put uh, the superscript TM. And what that means is, I regard this as mine, don't take it, I'm putting my stake in the ground here, but you don't have to do that, and it's really not enforceable. Mm. So it's just a way of putting the public on notice that this is mine. But to answer your question, I don't know that consumers care all that much, but it depends on who the consumer is. Now, if it's maybe if it's a B2B transaction, just like if you have comma INC or LLC mm. after your business name... Having the Circle R designation, I think, enhances your credibility and shows, you know, that you're professional, you're established, you're all in with your business, you have your infrastructure in place. Yep. I, I so I do think that exists to some extent.
0: Yeah. And then you mentioned about the Circle R, and then the TM. Can you dive into the distinction of that a little bit more? Is the TM like what? What point does someone put that on?
1: Anybody can put TM on their stuff at, at any time. There's nothing stopping anybody from writing TM. Um, and and it's, it's a way of just putting the public on notice that I regard this as mine, but you cannot use a circle R unless you have the registration. And so if you put circle R and you're not actually registered, that can actually lead to civil liability for you. Or if you later decide to go and seek a trademark and then the USPTO sees, you're telling the public that you're already got the registration. You can actually get denied for it. Wow. So when I see people saying Circle R, it's kind of a habit of mine. I trademark stock them. Mm-hmm. I go onto the database and I look them up. <laughs> and there have been times I've told people, you don't actually have a trademark. You might want to get rid of that Circle R. Yeah. Um, so it, now you do have common law rights. So there's the federal level, but then there's common law. So as soon as you start holding yourself out as using a trademark, you actually have a common law trademark right to that trademark, assuming nobody else is using it. You get no judicial presumptions in your favor, and you have to sue in state court, and state judges are really taxed on their resources, and they really don't understand trademark law.
2: Hmm. And
1: you have no statutory remedies, no attorney's fees, and so uh, it's it's really an uphill battle, and that's not a fight I would advise them to pick.
0: Wow. Wow. Dude this is This is great stuff, man like I've never even thought about all this stuff. <laughs> keep the
1: questions coming, man I'm ready to
0: go. This is great. this is great. um okay, so we talked about the trademark symbol, the registered symbol, the difference between those, and when to use them um I'm curious with with the people who you work with. I just want to talk about you personally and how you run the the business like what have you seen is important to be able to be a great? great right, attorney for your clients to be able to like, you know, communicate with them and have them understand concepts. What do you think is important there, man?
1: I can just speak for myself. And so for me, it's, it's uh, empathy and connection. I mean, that yeah. that's my superpower as a lawyer yeah. is I connect with my clients. I see them as human beings. I am a human being. Uh, one thing that one item of feedback I get from people is that um, I'm personable. You know, I'm I'm, I'm human and, and I take a lot of pride in that because I feel like that's not super well reflected in my profession. Mm. And so I like to connect with my client and figure out what's your pain point, what's important to you, what are your priorities, where do you want to go with this? Because I'm not going to just go and put someone in a vehicle and, and charge them a bunch of money and set something up for them if I don't feel like it's really what they need. Mm. And in fact, just recently, I was on the phone with someone, really sweet lady, and she's talking about setting up an entity and i'll go i'll go file the entity for you that's i'll do that happily i just didn't feel like she was really ready to go file that entity she wasn't in a position where she's really monetizing this business and setting up that entity is going to cause more expense coming to her and i just didn't feel like she was ready and so i i declined to do that for her because i didn't feel like that was in her best interest hmm. so when i'm talking to someone let's say someone comes to me and they say hey tom Can you do my trademark? Can you set up my entity? Can you do my contract, et cetera? That's the need that the client perceives. But I take more of a holistic view of my client's situation. They may or may not need the reason that they're on the phone with me for. They might need other things as well. And maybe certain things need to come first. Mm -hmm. For example, if you're a sole proprietor and you're coming to me about your contract the first thing I'm going to say is, well, let's get an entity set up because what if there's a problem with that contract? There's a lawsuit. Now you're going to be a party to that lawsuit yourself and your individual capacity and your personal assets are going to be exposed. If we can set up an entity for you first, then I make that entity the party to the, the contracting party. Now you've got some infrastructure. Now you've got some protection, a way to limit your liability. So so I, look at, I take a holistic look at my client's situation and see what they need.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I also hear that you you protect that downside, but you're also looking for the upside. You're looking for growth strategies. You're looking for like, what is going to work, what's going to help them to achieve the result that they want and in, in the way that they're they're great at, you know, their gifts, their unique skills and abilities and how to best execute on that vision.
1: Yeah, I look out into the future. And so my background is a litigation attorney. So for 14 years, all I did was lawsuits. I did nothing else. Wow. And I feel like now as someone who does a lot of transactional work, but I know where the courthouse is. Like I know how things can play out in the future because I've litigated them. So if someone comes to me with a certain fact pattern or a really bad contract, or they haven't bothered to set up an entity, uh, I can see how these things could play out because I've litigated these things. Or let's say you've got a partnership and you have got no written agreement with your partner. Mm. And you guys are in business or well, you're not making any money. Fine. Nothing's really going to happen with that. But when money starts coming in, you better bet there's going to be a problem. If you don't have paper between you. Wow. When you. when you got, when people want to pull in different directions or someone feels like they're working harder than the other, and there's no paper between you. You're looking at a real expensive lawsuit. So I can take whatever's in front of me today mm. and project it out into the future. If you continue with the status quo, this is what could happen because I've been there. So let's not do that. And let's fortify your situation right now. That's, that's where my litigation background melds perfectly with my transactional practice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then I want to talk about how, um, running your own business, like, what do you think that that really helps you do with your clients? Like why, why does that give you a unique advantage over other um, attorneys?
1: Interesting question. I mean, any attorney running a law office is in business. I mean, a law office is a business. I have a separate business as well. So I have a, a bit more of a holistic perspective. So my my videography business is an LLC. My law corp, my law corporation is an S Corp. And so I run two different kinds of businesses. So one thing I tell people is the situations that I'm coaching you through, either I've been through it with other clients or I've been through it myself as an entrepreneur. And so, you know, when people are on the phone with me, just yesterday I was on the phone with two different clients who are going through hard times. And I've been through those hard times myself, like I've been through these struggles, you know, like uh new jobs aren't coming in or clients aren't paying their bills. I get it I've been there i've I've been there too, so it helps me empathize with my clients,
0: yeah, dude, that's, that's so good. I think we want people who understand our situation because we're oftentimes I would imagine um people. are are seeking solutions when they're in pain right when when things are when shit hits the fan so to speak like when we're trying to figure out like what to do next it's like hey how do we how do we move forward and it's like oftentimes google is the solution being in that desperation of like hey how do i get through this and it's so much better to have like that preparation number one beforehand but number two also go to someone like yourself who has the experience and a more uh, broader perspective to be able to serve people no matter what their their challenge or their situation is
1: You know, and I, that's one thing I do is I identify the pain point, like, okay, what is the actual stressor that caused you to reach out to me or call me or email me? What is that? And so, and sometimes people, this is just, this is just human nature. We can identify the pain point and sometimes people just get stuck. Maybe it's fear, maybe it's overwhelm, you know, life getting in the way, or maybe it's monetary. I get it. I'm human. Um, but then I, ex- I explained to them, okay, so you're, you're in this situation. Here's your pain point. How painful is this going to be if you maintain the status quo? Mm-hmm. So if you continue on this path that you're on, whatever pain you're experiencing now, what's that pain going to be six months or a year down the road?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so by hiring a lawyer to help address that pain point now, it reduces your stress. And uh, whatever you spend on the lawyer, it could save you 10 times that down the road. So one thing I tell people is really uh, by using me early on, I'm free. I pay for myself over time.
2: Yeah, I love it. I
0: love it, dude. That's so good. Um, I want to talk about if if Burn It Up Coaching was to get a trademark today, um, Like, what is that process like? Like What do you need from your clients to be able to submit that?
1: So the first thing I would do, so let's say you you emailed me and say, hey, Tom, I want to trademark Burn It Up Coaching, right? The first thing I'll do is I'll inquire to you, okay, well, what's the classification? Like, what's the nature of your business? Okay. Yours already know who you are and what you do. So I would know that. But that would be the, otherwise the first question I would ask okay. is what's the nature of your business? Then I go into the trademark database. It's called TESS, okay. T-E-S-S, okay. Trademark Electronic Search System. Okay. It's, a, it's a public database run by the USPTO. It's free. Anybody could use it. You can go on it right now. And then you type in the word, you type in the phrase, and you just see if it's available. So I, w- I would type in, burn it up coaching, and then just see what we would get. And I'm not on the clock. You haven't hired me. I haven't taken a dime from you because I don't want to take your money and get hired by you. And then you're expecting a trademark. Yeah. And then I go research and research. I find this thing's got no, this thing's DOA.
2: Mm.
1: I don't even want to be in that situation. So what I do is this is just part of my service. I just do the search at the outset, I consider it part of the initial consultation. Yeah. So I look and see if the name's available. Let's say we get zero hits. That's great. There's no one else calling themselves exactly that name. But you don't just get trademarks for that precise name. I mean, you, you can get blocked if someone has a similar name. So yeah. then I'd play around with variations. Maybe I'd say burn it up and take coaching out and see right. what we find. Um, or burn coaching and see what we find. Mm. Um, but even that's not always super exhaustive. And there could be variations that you don't foresee. So, if I find that it's not viable, I'm going to tell you, I don't think it's viable. You can continue using that name. Um, or if I find there's a conflict, I might tell you, hey, by the way, this other guy's using that name. You might want to rethink yours. Yeah. Let's say your name's viable. So, at that point, I would send out uh, an intake form. So, I've got a one page PDF that you fill out that has all the information I need. Okay. You just fill it out and then. That contains everything I need. Uh, I have to send out a fee agreement. I'm required by the state bar to do a written fee agreement. And then once the fee enters my account, I'm ready to go because I, I pay the filing fee on your behalf. The next thing I'll do is I will go to your website. So let's say so you're a service. Burn It Up Coaching is a service, right? So the specimen I would have to submit would be promotional or advertising material. Okay. If you have got a good or a product, it's the product itself. Photos of the product label, the display, the packaging. That's what you need for goods. For services, it's your, your advertising material. Okay. So for you, I would probably just go to your website and I'd find where it says Burn It Up Coaching along with some kind of description, textual description of what you do. I screenshot that with my computer. Mm. And then I go in there and I crop it, clean it up, make it as concise as I can, get all my tabs out of there. And then I convert it to a JPEG. And then I go onto the USPTO website and I physically fill out the application. I submit the specimens. I pay the filing fee. I get the receipt. I then forward the receipt to you and I say, congratulations, Mr. Trademark Applicant. Mm. We'll talk in three months because that's how long it's going to take for the USPTO to act on your application. Wow. So in three months, we'll find out if if it's a green light or a red light. Mm-hmm. And if it's a green light, then we know uh, it's going to take about three months more for the process to go through the publication Uh, phase that's got to go through and then that piece of paper is going to arrive in the mail you're good Mm -hmm. sometimes you get denials and those denials are called office actions sometimes the office action is curable sometimes i can just go on there and check a box and fix it real easy no charge sometimes i gotta go we gotta get to work and that's where i do it hourly Um, and then if we can cure the office action you'll get the piece of paper and if we can't cure it then uh, we take our ball and go home. Hmm. So that's generally how the process works. And then you got to renew your trademark five years, li- five years later. Hmm. Then five years after that, you have to renew it again. And then every 10 years thereafter.
0: Wow. What's, tell me what happens if someone lets their trademark expire.
1: It's deemed abandoned. Hmm. And so you no longer have a trademark.
0: Is it, is it no, just as easy to go say like, you know, five months after that five year period and say, hey, I want to renew this and you can renew it?
1: Well, no, you can't do it. You have, to, you have to. There's like a certain window of time. Wow. So if five years out, there's like a one-year window where you can submit your renewal. It's called a, a declaration of use. Okay. So you have to submit a verification. It's kind of like a reapplication right. with a new specimen. You got to pay $125 filing fee and demonstrate you're still using it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can't do it five months after. You got to wait the five years, but you get a one-year window. Mm-hmm. If you drop the ball and you're a little late, you can file late. You just got to jump through through additional hoops and additional fees. Hmm. But if it's actually abandoned, uh, the USPTO will will actually deem it abandoned and send you a notice of abandonment, and you got to start over and reapply.
2: Yeah.
0: So I know trademarking is something that's that's important for protecting that brand longevity of it. Um, is there anything else that you, you typically recommend for for businesses? The good strategies to help them protect their business
1: or keep growing their business? Well, I could talk about this all day long. <laughs> so, so I've given a lot of talks on how to limit your liability in business and having a trademark can limit your li- liability in the sense that you're less likely to have someone come after you and claim infringement if you already have your own registration. But uh, there are certain pillars of limited liability I want all business owners to know about. And so one of them is uh, entity formation. Okay. If you are doing business as a corporation or an LLC, the general rule is you are not liable personally for the obligations of of the corporation, so if there's you know a breach of contract claim um, the proper party to that lawsuit is the entity, not you. There are exceptions to the limited liability rule called alter ego, where if you're not adhering to corporate formalities and uh you're not uh properly maintaining your corporation, you don't have separate accounting. You're using your corporation as your personal piggy bank. You're paying personal expenses out of it. You're not doing your annual filings, your annual meetings. Mm. Uh, You're not running your corporation like a corporation. The court can pierce the corporate veil Mm. and disregard the corporate existence and hold you liable anyway. So it's important that you do it right if you're going to do it at all, which is why I tell people don't use LegalZoom. Don't use your tax guy. Mm. Don't do it yourself. Hire a lawyer. Because anybody can file articles of incorporation and create the entity It's what you do next. That matters. Mm. So, so that's, that's, that's a caveat I have there. So in general, having an entity gives you limited liability. Mm. Um, another area to protect yourself is through strong contract draft. So, mm. so you're, you're a coach. Let's use you as an example. Okay. Um, do you have a corporation or an LLC set up by the way? Yes. Okay. Good man. So in your service agreement for your coaching, you make sure it's crystal clear. Are you a corp or an LLC? Uh corp. Okay. So, and what's the name of your corp? Burn Up Coaching Inc. Okay, there you go. So you make sure that Burn It Up Coaching Inc. is the name of the contracting party, not Chris Burns. Right. You know, you put the name of your corporation in the top, in the recitals, the parties to the contract, and at the bottom on the signature block, it's going to say Burn It Up Coaching INC in the signature block, Chris Burns, comma, CEO. Right. You're signing on behalf of the corporation. But there's lots of things you can do in your contract to protect yourself. Mm. And I've worked with a lot of people in the coaching space. so I'm just going to use you as an example here. Sure. The number one thing I do is I, I'm crystal clear on the scope of services, your scope of work. Mm. Here's where I would want to be very clear on what you do, the services that you do. It's, it's good to help manage your client's expectations. Because you don't want them saying, well, hey, Chris, where are my books? My taxes are due. Why haven't you done my taxes? I'm not your tax guy. <laughs> if you're crystal clear on what you're doing, yeah. the client is going to manage their expectations and there's going to be less likely that there's going to be a dispute. Mm-hmm. Or if the client comes to you and says, Chris, why don't you do my taxes? Look at your contract. Right. That's not in my scope of work. Yep. Um, but also, there could be some gray area about what you do and what you don't do. Mm-hmm. So if there's certain things that you don't want to touch, then you disclaim that. I, I really like using exclusions from the scope of work. Burn It Up Coaching Inc. is not being engaged to perform the following and then mm. just put it out there uh, because you don't want someone suing you for failing to do X when you never agreed to do X. Right. So if you have in your contract that you explicitly said, I'm not doing X, then they've got no case against you. Mm. So that's a way of helping you out. Another thing that's really important is to be crystal clear on payment terms. Yep. is it due up front? Is it spread out over time? Yep. Uh, what's your refund policy? When is it due yep. um, Under what conditions might you excuse late performance things like that? Another way to manage client expectations but also make sure that you get paid yep. and that you're not working for free and if it's in your contract, you're in a stronger position. so let's just say my my service costs four thousand dollars, but you don't say anything about when it's due. Yep. Now you're going to have some problems with your client. And then you're going to look less professional as a result. So if you're really clear about your payment terms Mm. and your cancellation policy, Mm. then that's going to protect you. Another thing is a choice of law. So you're located here in Southern California. So you want to say that this contract is governed by the laws of the state of California. Mm. You'd want a venue clause. Any litigation arising out of or relating to this agreement shall be venued in Orange County, California. That way, if there's a lawsuit that's in your backyard, you're not getting sued in new jersey yeah (laughs) or if the person sues you in new jersey now you've got grounds to bring a motion to change venue and get it kicked back to your backyard wow so those are some examples of things that we could do to protect you oh another one attorney's fees so you could put an attorney's fees clause in there uh in any litigation arising out of this agreement the prevailing party shall be entitled to their attorney's fees and costs so that way if you have to hire me to go in and and sue somebody on your behalf right uh, you're going to recoup your fees on the back end of the case. Wow. Because if you don't have a fee clause, you don't get it in California.
2: Yeah.
0: I wanna, a, a couple things I want to talk about. First, we'll talk about in the beginning of a business, some people may be like just startup and they're trying to bootstrap their way and may not see how they can pay for legal uh, advice and attorney. What do you recommend to those people?
1: I, I th- This is something that really... You don't want to defer this. And I understand sometimes people when they're starting up, funds are really tight. You're just trying to generate some revenue here. Um, but it takes some capital to start a business. Yep. I mean, any business you start, it's going to take some capital. Look at network marketing. It takes money to get started in any any network marketing business, for example. So yep. you can't expect to get into business and have zero capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, how are you going to be able to, to service your clients if you don't have any resources? Mm-hmm. Um, so if someone comes to me and they, they have some legal needs, but they really don't have the means of paying for one thing I can do is I can spread it out over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say there's a scope of work. That's 2000 bucks. I might chop it up into two or three installments to help you to out. True. Otherwise I might say, you know, see if you can go find some financing, mm-hmm. get some startup financing, get, see if you can get a loan. Um, PayPal's got a program right now where they're giving out loans. I think it's like up to 50 K. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've got credit, go get some capital so you can actually hit the ground running with your business. That's one thing I would advise someone to do. It's gold.
0: It's gold, Tom. I wanted to ask, you mentioned like legal zoom and these um, kind of services. What's the downfall to using something like that versus um, talking to someone like you?
1: Okay. I just wrote a post on this last week and I'm going to write a blog post on this because I feel strongly about it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it's not because this is competition. There's plenty of people competing. I know other business lawyers, and I think they're wonderful people. The problem there is for using an online service is you don't have a lawyer.
2: Mm.
1: Or if you do, maybe they have a database of people you can go to, but you really don't have a relationship with that person. You didn't go out and, and, and get a referral and, and vet that person and decide if that person's a fit for you. So this is a company that provides documentary services. They push paper. They're not your lawyer. And in fact, they will have a disclaimer saying, we are not your lawyer. Mm. So if you've got a question and you're not sure if this choice you're making, let's say you're, you're hiring LegalZoom to go form your corporation, LLC might be a better match for you. Mm. you know. Or you're hiring LegalZoom to go file your trademark, but your name is totally generic. Mm. So now you're just you're lighting money on fire. So if you had a, a, an actual lawyer on your side, you have someone you can ask questions of. And that person might steer you in another direction, or at least make sure that you're educated about what you're doing. Mm. And then also people set up corporations. I, met, I touched on this earlier. Legal Zoom, assume they get it through correctly. That doesn't always happen. Mm. You don't know what to do next. Mm. How do you properly maintain your corporation? Mm. You don't have a lawyer to pick up and ask questions of. Mm. And so that's what you're lacking there. And then I've got a client right now where – she set up her nonprofit through LegalZoom. LegalZoom totally dropped the ball. They didn't file her statement of information. They didn't do anything to get uh, the, the nonprofit exemption form filed with the IRS. There was nothing. They filed the articles of organization or incorporation. Well, anybody can do that. Yeah. So uh, it, it, I basically had to come in and start all over. And then she was trying to call LegalZoom to figure out, what did you guys do? Where is this? She was on hold for 45 minutes. So it's like you're calling the cable company. So that's the level of service you're going to get.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: Um, I want to talk about the uh the like what what should people be expecting that they can get advice on from a lawyer and get feedback and guidance on and what like should they be expecting to pay for?
1: Interesting. Um you know, I wear a lot of hats as a lawyer. And as a business lawyer, I do a lot of different things, right? Often I, so in general, I try to limit my legal, my, my advice to legal advice, but often, you know, lawyers are called counselors. You know, (laughs) if you walk into court, the judge is going to call you counsel, but that's what I do. Like I am a business therapist in a sense. I was serving as one yesterday. So, you know, I have to empathize with my clients and just listen to Tell, tell me what's going on in your business. And sometimes I am discussing strategy with them about their business and maybe going this way going that way and sometimes that involves legal guidance and sometimes not sometimes my clients just kind of need someone to bounce ideas off of or someone to actually kind of be their friend i mean i do establish real relationships and friendships with my clients so that's something that i do Uh, i don't touch i try to not touch tax like i tax is not my thing estate planning is not my thing criminal law Uh, So there's trust in states, like there's certain things I just rather family law stay out of. And I've got a good network of lawyers I know in these other practice areas. Mm -hmm. So if something's coming into an area that's really not my area of expertise, I want you to be in the best hands. And I'd rather send you to a colleague of mine than to have me, uh, you you paying for my education. Mm -hmm. I hope that answers your question.
0: Yeah, I I wanted like as far as when someone wants to work with you, we talked about trademark, um, trademark uh, submitting that. But as as far as like just general um, business legal relationship, is there any other things that people should know if they want to contact you and just find out if you're a great fit for them and their situation?
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, when I talk to people on the phone, when I'm talking to a a prospective client, it's an initial consultation. I don't charge for this. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to ascertain. Who you are and where you are, right. do I want to work with you because this is a two-way street yeah and yeah. I don't feel right about you or I don't like you I'm going to decline the representation <laughs> I'll, I'll find a tactful way of saying right. <laughs> but uh, but so it's, it's mutual
2: yeah.
1: the client and the lawyer need to make sure it's a fit going both ways because we're going to be with each other you know for the next year or the lifespan of your business but you want to make sure it's a fit. And then I want to ascertain, what is the scope of what you need? And is this within my experience and competency? Maybe I can handle this part, but I'll send this part to somebody else. I'm trying to ascertain that. And while I'm on the phone, I try to establish some rapport. I try to look at the totality of what you need. And if it's pretty simple, I'll just quote you right there on the phone. If it's a little more complicated, you need a list of things. What I like to do is I put together a proposal. Mm. And so I lay out, I propose doing the following scope of work. And I have a base cost for each item. And then the more you have me doing, I'll give you, uh, I'll work in a bulk savings for you. Mm. So the more you have me do, the less you pay. That's one thing I like to do. Um, But what I really like to do is I serve as general counsel. Mm. So you're a company and you don't know, you don't foresee exactly what you're going to need, but you want an attorney just on speed dial. Yeah. And so I set it up where I'm general counsel. I'm available for anything you might need, including but not limited to, and I'll, li- I'll list it out. And then you can just call me up or email me and I'm just, I'm in your pocket. You have funds in the trust account so I can pay myself as I go. So that's called being general counsel. And I have several clients where I have that. relationship. That's awesome. That's awesome, man.
2: Um,
0: getting back to the trademarks, I just wanted to, to wrap up on that. Is there anything that we didn't touch that you feel like business owners need to know about trademarking, about the the process, or just um, reasons why they should do it? Anything else you wanted to touch on around that, Tom?
1: Well, I mean, we just scratched the, the scratch here. I mean, this is the tip <laughs> of the iceberg. I can go on about trademarks for hours. But one thing I would tell business owners is have a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. And when people say, when should I file my trademark? My answer is yesterday. Mm-hmm. Because you never know who might step in and start using your mark in the interim. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's a powerful process here called intent to use. So let's say I want to be burned up coaching, but uh, I got some ducks in the row. I, I got to get my ducks in a row first. I'm really not in business yet. I'm not doing it yet, but I really want to do that mark. I would tell you, file your trademark application now. Mm-hmm. And we do something called an intent to use application. Mm-hmm. So you certify that I'm not using this mark in commerce now, but I intend to. You don't have to submit specimens at that time. So you push your application through, and if you get what's called a notice of allowance, you then have six months to submit specimens.
2: Hmm.
1: So this is a powerful tool. So let's say uh, you don't want to invest the money in your infrastructure, your website, your marketing, because I'm not sure if this name is going to get through. This happened with a client of mine last year where the name was a little suspect. We did not intend to use application, and he got denied he saved tens of thousands of dollars. Wow. So he spent you know a few hundred bucks with me and saved himself tens of thousands because he didn't go out and put money into this thing where he would have gotten denied anyway. So that was a powerful tool. But here's another thing, and the beauty of it. Let's say you do an intent-to-use application. You're not using this mark in commerce yet. Mm-hmm. You file your application. Six months goes by. You're still not using it yet. Someone else comes along and starts using it. Mm-hmm. And then they file. Yeah. That person it is using the mark who files for the trademark gets denied by you because you're not even using it yet because you filed first. The person who subsequently starts using it thereafter, after you in time. So you can block people from using it uh, even though you're not using it yet. It's a really powerful tool, intent to use. Wow,
0: dude, this is this is great. And I also wanted to talk about the order of priorities and every business I'm sure is different, but order of priorities for um, legal Structures and precautions to put in place. Do you do you have a general like, hey, you know, these are this is good to get first or anything like that?
1: That's an excellent question, and that's one of the first things I do when I'm looking at the totality of what you need. So I asked you, do you have a corporation set up? The answer is yes. If your answer was no, I'd say so. Here's the scope of work: trademark, copyright, contract, privacy policy for your website, entity formation. In what order do we do these things? I move the entity formation to the first. That's the first thing we do. Get the entity set up because everything else then gets housed under that entity. Your contract's under the name of the entity. Your trademark or your copyright's owned by that entity. So create the entity, the the holding company first. That's the first thing you do. And then then I'd say get the trademark filed next because that's going to take you nine months. So then that's the very next thing. Get the trademark done. And then the contract, that's probably the, the, the third thing I would put in there. Good
0: stuff. Good stuff, man. Um, so let's start to wrap it up with final takeaways, either just general uh, business wisdom that you picked up along the years, driving home trademark stuff. I know we barely just scratched the surface on that, but just anything else you feel our audience should know, man.
1: I just, if, if you're in business, I just want to congratulate you. You are, uh, it takes a lot of, uh, of of guts and courage and stamina to, go out on your own. And if you're in business, regardless of whether you're working with me, I'm rooting for your success because our economy and our society depends on entrepreneurs to pull through. And so I'm rooting for you if you're in business. That's that's what I got to say there.
0: Boom. I love it. Let's tell them how they can take the next steps with you, how they can contact you, get in touch with you, man.
1: So my website is latigardlaw.com. Okay. Um, I'll make sure to go into the comment section here and I'll type it in. But um, you can go to my website. Um, I'll, I'll make sure my contact info is in there. I've got a YouTube channel that I put up a few months ago. So If you look up Ladegard Law on YouTube, uh, I've got a channel on there where I've got little three-minute digestible videos where I talk about trademark and educate people about that. Also, my website I've got a blog where I dive deep into a variety of topics, and hopefully, you can find some personal of wisdom there
0: as well. Gold man. And uh, if people want to like contact you, what's the best way they could do that?
1: Uh, people can hit me. So if people watching this over Facebook, you're always welcome to hit me up over Messenger. I'm not getting legal advice over Messenger, but if you want to establish a connection with me that way, that's great. Yeah. Um, you can email me. You can call me. Uh, you can hit me up through my contact form on my website. Cool. Uh, there's a lot of different ways. I don't want to just start spelling out my last name here because no, no one's going to catch that.
0: <laughs> I love it and in the show notes for the podcast YouTube people will be able to find that I put your website in the comments on Facebook so this is, this is great stuff man I, I really appreciate the work that you're doing Tom and and uh, the value that you're bringing to business owners and taking that like holistic perspective because that's really what what we need we don't need someone who like uh, I, I think of the um, the CPA example who just like once a year you bring your stuff to and it's like okay just for the taxes like you want that preventative type of of, of strategy you want the year-long hey let's make sure you're not in 12 months like completely out in freaking right field and screwing yourself like let's make sure every step of the way is effective and productive
1: okay you, that's that's a great concept that we should end on right there you asked what's some good business advice yeah. go to a lawyer before you need one
2: yeah just like going to the
1: doctor before you're sick get your well visits in so you go to the to your lawyer to get set up before there's problems you're going to have so much less stress and you're going to save so much more money. If you wait until you're, you're in the middle of a dispute and you got a horrible contract and you're exposed, uh, and then you go to a lawyer, it's going to cost you a whole lot more. So go to a lawyer before the problems arise and you're going to have a much better journey in your business adventure.
0: Um, Boom. Business adventure. I love it. Tom, you are a champion, man. Thank you for being here, sharing your wisdom. I know uh, people really get to get that trademark in place so they can protect themselves. And thank you so much for sharing this this valuable, valuable wisdom. Man. Appreciate it. Hey,
1: thanks for, having, thanks for having me. And thank you for what you do as well. Thank you, brother. I'll see you soon. All right.
0: From the bottom of my heart, thank you for tuning in. Right now, we've reached the end of this episode But this is the start of a whole new beginning. Each and every moment, you have an opportunity to rewrite your story. Right here, right now, decide and commit who you are going to be. Think about how you will use these ideas, wisdom, and inspiration to make the difference in your life. What actions will you take today and every day Head over to BeYourGPS.com forward slash coaching to schedule some time into my calendar. Now, master yourself, create your reality, and make every day your best day ever.